Warning on this one, y'all. Parents' discretion is super advised. Here we go. Plug the little ears. We're going to talk about Gloria Vanderbilt today. This is Waking Up With Mel, episode 34. Let's get going. You mentioned Gloria Vanderbilt quite a bit in your childhood, and you obviously spent quite a bit of time with her. So maybe if you can give us a little bit more info on some of your experiences with her, how you knew her. Um, I know you spoke about the 12-year-old rituals before, mm-hmm. but more, I know she has some very weird doll collection. Yeah, maybe tell us a little bit more about that. And as well as the media surrounding that, you know, because as far as I know, she would then be controlling via what her sons or the media, what the media puts out there, mainstream media that is. So I don't know, all of that, these are just questions in my mind surrounding that. If you would maybe be so kind as to give us some clarity. Yeah, so um, with Gloria, um, I really met her early on in, you know, probably closer to age four and a half through age, you know, it got more and more sporadic, but it really was age four and a half to age eight and very specific times. Um, So initially they were trying to figure out, you know, as they um, were training me in my succession, which of the grand high priestesses would be in charge of teaching me, you know, the, the black magic, the spells, the different books, um, you know, the invocations, the, you've got the making of herbs, the herbology, the alchemy, all of that stuff. So they were trying to see which of, it came down to between Gloria and Lori Cabot-Kent and which one would be my main trainer in those things. So that's kind of how I first met Gloria is that, you know, we would go to one of her places or meet up with her somewhere and, you know, I'd go through very specific events with her. Um, you know, so I've, I've talked about on one of the shows, I talked quite in depth about her dollhouses and her collection of dolls. And, um, you know, we'll give a graphic warning. I'm not going to get into really super details here. Um, if people would like to see it, I've got it on a show with David Zublick. Um, about her where I really break down, you know, the memories of those, those times. But um, Gloria was one, she used her dollhouses and dolls as a type of divination. So with that, with the divination, you have, you know, they would use it to predict the future. They would use it to try to um, kind of morph events or activities the way that they wanted it to go um so you know it wasn't just that they would see or know that something was happening but they also believed that they could through magic um or mind control they could steer the direction that something was supposed to go or take so um you know she used that as a way to control those who were under her um, you know, with the, with demonic spirits. So like, you know, she would 
usually trying to think how to go through all this without getting too graphic, but um, everybody who was under her because of her dark black magic, they would be introduced to types of ritual killings. So usually what she did is as these people were introduced in, and started to participate in these ritual killings, usually she would take the very first victim that they killed and she would taxidermy that victim, not always, you know, in a whole form. So sometimes she would take pieces and those pieces she would make into little dollhouse dolls. And then she would take um, those people, like a clip of those people's hair, uh, you know, like, so for me, the first infant that I, you know, that my proctor, we were at Gloria's house and my proctor drowned this infant and told, you know, basically was teaching me how to do that. And so that infant then Gloria taxidermied and made this little doll of me with my hair on it. And then she would play with her doll houses or she would create like, you know, you can go on and look up um, Gloria Vanderbilt boxes. And so those boxes have kind of been the art piece that morphed out of this original divination that she did, but she would, you know, have these dollhouses in the scenes. And so like, if she didn't like what you were doing, she would create this horrific scene that usually included some form of um, self mutilation or self harm, or it could include other people, you know, who were going to harm or bring death to you. Um, you know, she, she was one who, one of her signs and symbols that the individuals who were trained under her use a lot when they um, want to take somebody out um, is they will use the red scarves, especially off the doorknobs. So she would put those images in her dollhouses. And so these people then she would send it to them as a gift you know, she'd create a scene that they could see. It wasn't like the original dolls that she kept of everybody. But, um, you know, she would send them the scene. They would get a gift, open it up, and it was like, oh, no. You know, like, uh, this is not good. And within, you know, a couple days, um, <clears throat> that, that scene would unfold. And so I did observe that several times, um, you know, and bear witness that, when she did these things, stuff did happen. Um, you know, so she, she really called on a lot of high level demons through that. Well, if that ain't creepy, we're just getting started folks. That testimony was by a victim. Well, actually I'd like to call them survivors. Her name is Jesse. And let me spell her last name for you because I always mess it up. Okay. So she's on rumble. She has I've just played the clips right off her channel, but it's C-Z-E-B-O-T-A-R. Um, and she's been speaking up since about 2020 about what's going on with her life. Um, I have to explain a little deeper how this all works for people to understand. And I guess we should probably just do that now. As Jesse explains in multiple interviews on multiple different channels over and over again, and I do have to say she is 
she has testified to our government. She is in the process of doing something about this. It's not just YouTube good times. Like she's working very, very hard to stop child sex trafficking. And what she says is that there's basically five networks of organized child trafficking and abuse run by the department branches of the Illuminati. Now, Jesse, she was chosen to be one of these mothers of darkness and she went AWOL and started following Jesus Christ. And that is one of the reasons she's speaking up because once you follow Jesus Christ, you're not scared of death anymore. Yes, you do not want to die, but you're not scared to die because you know where you're going and it's not scary and unknown. And so you, you just start to stand up and that's what Jesse's been doing. And you know what? Her son was murdered for it just recently in the last, I think, year in a tragic quote unquote car accident. And it was tragic and it was a car accident, but it wasn't really an accident. If you get what I'm saying. So anyways, the organizations that she says runs the networks are the Masons, the party of Scion Templars and Grand High Lodge leaders, Catholic Church, Pope, then the Catholic Church hierarchy, Mormons, and that surprises a lot of people, but the more I got into this, it's like, wow, the, the higher up Mormons know that what goes on is just the lower down people, just like in the uh, Masons, you know, there's lower class Masons that think it's a good organization, but the higher you get, the worse it gets. Same thing with the Mormons. I'm sorry to put that out there. Cabal, but just do research. Jewish mysticism, sect, a, a Kabbalah mixed with new age philosophies, satanic practices. It's morphed into a Cabal sect and Satanists. So there's different uh, bloodlines, I guess you could say, that make these organizations run the way they do. And we're going to get into that right now. So let's first talk about the Mother of Darkness. There are five Mothers of Darkness, and they're essentially the CEO or Chief Executive Officers of the Illuminati business. They know how the system company structure works. They choose people by the gifts they have. Uh, they test these gifts. They do various job roles. Uh, they oversee their quadrants in the U.S. and internationally, and they talk to Satan, as they all see and hear in the spiritual world. Mother of Darkness decides whether the bloodline people are hier hierarchy people or expendables, depending on the gifts they have. Expendables are judged not to have spiritual gifts to link to various demonic spirits to fulfill needs of the company. The one ones with gifts assembled to be used in the hierarchy are put into the monarch mind control program which we will talk about next week there are three mother of darkness regarded as the higher position than the others crone mother and maid and the crone is the queen mother of darkness jesse was to be the successor of the queen mother of darkness okay so then there's protectors and assassins protectors are securities each mother has one. The head protector runs training for the others. There's five adult protectors, which guard mothers of darkness. There are five junior age, 12 to 18, which are not assigned. They're basically kept and reserved and protect those who need protecting. And then there's five children who are protectors assigned to protect the successors of the mothers of darkness, i.e. the people who eventually be the successors. Uh, which they are chosen really early in their lives. Jesse was chosen when she was four years old. Um, and then there's the grand high priestess. Okay. And these are called, and these are the mothers of the quadrants. And this is where Gloria Vanderbilt's going to come in. So she, and if you didn't know, this is the mother of Anderson Cooper, which is her fourth child. Um, she was married 
believe twice before she married this Cooper dude. She had two kids previous in her previous marriage who the father got custody of. And then Anderson, she, she must've learned and Anderson's dad suddenly died of a heart attack. We'll have to find out what age he was when he mysteriously died of this heart attack. But she said to be super upset about that. Um, but not the fact of when her kid jumped out a window, which I just heard that could be maybe possibly a uh, witchcraft thing she did to her son. We'll I'll play that. It's on a podcast. Anyways, when okay, so it says Glory Gloria Vanderbilt, mother of Anderson Cooper, CNN, and Carter Cooper, who d- died supposedly by jumping out a window, was a grand high priest for the East. When one dies, as Vanderbilt did recently, and she did this in June 17, 2019, there are witches, witches that battle for the recently vacant position under the Mothers of Darkness castle in Belgium. This happens in the physical and astral or spiritual realm with the physical weapons and the use of spells and summoning of demons. They fight for each other's power and demons. If you don't believe in God... Know the demons do, okay, folks? If you're ever curious as why there's so much evil in the world right now, it's because they've been running it for a long time. And people just, instead of waking up to who these people are, they worship them, such as Gloria Vanderbilt. Um, we should probably get more into her, but I'm going to finish let, laying down how this order works. So we got the high priest or priestess, then we got the bride of Satan. And if you really think about this, some of these women, they like love to just say, put it in their songs and everything. But anyways, the bride, the brides ensure Satan is happy and what he desires happens. Satan's quote unquote candy wife. They can lure a person into the system if he wants some. They look good and they represent him, but do not have many duties or functions. Sometimes they battle, but it is rigged. It is rigged. They win. Then there's the Sisters of Light. There's 13 for each quadrant in the U.S. and internationally. Elite security team. They are just spiritual protectors, demonic possession, and spiritual warfare, disease, and causing money problems. Wow. Different to protectors and assassins, which are spiritual and and physical plane. These people, they know how to live in the spiritual world much more than Christians do, and it's pretty stinking sad and now i see christians that want to be spiritual and they get struck down by other christians and it's like we're stuck and it's it's sad because these satanic people they're not and they haven't been and they've been ruling this world through music through our tvs through our music through cartoons even like it's just it's everywhere in our government in our in our police systems and and we wonder why things are so bad because we haven't been awake, people. We haven't been awake to what's going on in the world. And we have these Gloria Vanderbilts of the world being worshipped, documentaries. Oh, and who runs the news about his mom? Her son, who went to a CIA training. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up. Yeah, it's just insane. So we got the Druid Council, the Satanic Council. This... um this is to the satanic board of directors, usually men who deal with financial decisions, uh, a company decisions for their territory. The positions are called seats and they are divided into quadrants. A cover for them is the Bilderberg Conference. They all meet there, y'all. There are a wide range of individuals for each quadrant. The council received instruction from mothers and give instructions to high priests in the quadrant, in the quadrant they oversee. They are in position of power and cover lives 
business, banks, politics. Yeah, I just told you this. Positions, UN, European councils, in charge of trillion dollar companies. Each quadrant has a bloodline family representation. Head of Van Doon family, head of Rothschild family. The members of the council are the lords of the territories and each individual has a territory within that quadrant as well. Department branches. There are five branches in each territory. They have really figured this out, haven't they? And I've already told you this before. Below is the Satanic Council. Masons, Catholic, Cabal, Satanists, Mormons. And guess what? The Nazi connections are woven all throughout these branches. Many of the Jesuit priests are hidden Nazis. Does this surprise us? No. I was thinking, somebody said something about how the Vanderbilts in the early 1700s were associated with the uh, slavery market. And guess what? They still are. Uh, so it says the bloodline families, and it might not just be color of skin now, it's just everything goes now. Um, so the bloodline families are like board members. They oversee the departments in their territory, get messages to them, and ensure the heads of the business, drug trafficking program, or child trafficking programs are running well. What's so creepy about this is they're so, I, I mean, listen to my John Walsh episode, America's Most Wanted, all of that is is part of this craziness. And so it says that child trafficking training differs across the five departments to ensure the robustness of the business. If one part is taken down, they can also work in conjunction. The organizations that Jesse say run child sex trafficking networks are the five departments. <sighs> Mind control. Freemasons use MK Ultra programming, Delta EPS. I-L-O-N, military-based programming. The Satanists and Mormons tend to use beta kitten programming. Mind-controlled individuals are seen as file cabinets with, let's say, three drawers, and with each drawer having many files. Each drawer key is demonic spirit guarding it. Files are memories, most, mostly with traumatic experiences, and each file is guarded by a spirit, usually a lower-level spirit. And eventually, guys, I'll have to get into um, multi-personality, they used to call it. It's really, it's just really people who have been broken and traumatized. And this, what I'm talking about right here on this blog, this is KathyFoxWordPress.com. Amazing blog she has here. Well put together, wealth of information. It's just amazing. I'll be putting the link in the description box below. Well done, Kathy Fox. Okay, so back to the blog. It says, files are memories, mostly with traumatic experience. Each file is guarded by a spirit, usually a lower level spirit. All the spirits and demons need to be accessed to get these files, and the individuals relive the traumatic memories when they access the file. If an individual is not in line or fighting the quote-unquote company, the system considers them broken. It is seen that they're not correct connection between the person and the spirit, that the child's gifts are not lining up with the spirits. The system will then get them to fake counseling to ensure programming is continued or sometimes reprogrammed. This means higher level demons will be put in control of them to put fake memories in with different spirits in charge. General higher level demons tear people apart mentally in 10 to 15 years. Other lower level demons are more like coming in and out of people at will. The above is my interpretation of what Jesse is saying below. And this is again, the, the blogger saying this below are some other aspects on which other people experience or information that may fit within this overall occult hidden structure that Jesse described. 
and she calls her Jane in this because when Jesse came out at first, she went by Jane. Many people do not believe in the existence of either demons or spirits or magic. That's is not important. What is important is that the Illuminati and the people in power do. <laughs> Amen to that, Miss Kathy. Okay, so now let's get into Gloria. Who who is Gloria and where does she even come from? Well, it says that Gloria Laura Vanderbilt was born February twentieth, nineteen twenty four, and she died June seventeenth, two thousand nineteen. She was an American artist, fashion designer. Harris, socialite, and actress. Gloria, this is my own side note, was a very promiscuous young woman and liked to get it on with very old men. Basically, she was the child to a predator, in my opinion, but she says her first real sadness came when the woman who basically raised her, who she called Dodo, um, had was taken swiftly out of her life, like pretty much overnight at 10 years old. And Gloria Vanderbilt, her father died when she was an infant, not even two years old yet. And her she inherited $3 million at that time, which is worth in our time now like $22 million. She was a very rich young lady, but she did not get to access that money until she was 21. So her mom went and she started spending it and having a good time. And then the aunt said, no, not, not on my watch. I want the kids. So they got in this big old custody fight. And I believe that's might be when she started getting groomed into the Illuminati because it's known that the Whitney family, that the, that the, uh, aunt that adopted Gloria married into was, um, into the cult. Maybe the Vanderbilts were too, you know, you don't get wealthy, by not selling your soul, unfortunately. I mean, some people do, but not a lot. So this court case goes on. They say it's the biggest court case of the time, of that time. And this is, you know, the early 1900s. Then they throw the mom under the bus by saying she's a lesbian, which nowadays no one would care. But back then it was like the, <gasps> and she lost custody of Gloria. So Gloria then goes to live um, oh, and they also allegedly said the aunt told Gloria, if you lie about your mom and say how much you don't want to be with her, then you can keep Dodo, your beloved pretty much mom who's taking care of you since you were born and raised. So Gloria supposedly went in the court, lied about her mom, thinking that she would get to stay with her, what she thought of as a mother, which is Dodo. And they, after custody was won to the aunt, the aunt sent Dodo packing the day before Christmas. Merry Christmas, little Gloria. Welcome to hell. So I figure by that time, life probably did get a little hellish because she, by the time she was 17, she married a man twice her age and um, didn't last very long, ended up getting a divorce from him or he died. One of the two, let me find out. So I'm not lying. He did not die. As a matter of fact, he was a wife beater. So it says that in 1941 at age 17, she went to Hollywood Oh, that's where the hell started, probably. Uh, she became the second wife of Pat D-I-C-I-C-C-O, an agent for actors and an alleged mobster. They divorced in 1945 and had no children together. She later alleged that he was an abusive husband who called her Fatsy Roo and beat her. He would take my head and bang it against the wall, Vanderbilt said. I had black eyes. And that's so sad. In April 1945, within weeks of divorcing, I can't say his name. I want to say Dickel. <laughs> Vanderbilt married the conductor Leopold Stolotsky, 
who was 42 years her senior. So he, she went even older after the first one. He had three daughters by his previous marriage to Olga Smamaroff, an American concert pianist, and Ambageline Lowe Brewster Johnson, a Johnson & Johnson heiress. Mmm, the plot thickens. She was his third and last wife. The marriage ended in divorce in October 1955 and produced two sons, Leopold Stalancis Stan Stowatsky, born August 22, 1950, and Christopher Stowatsky, born January 31, 1952. Vanderbilt's third husband was the director Sidney Lumet. He was the second of his four wives. She was the second of his four wives. They were married August 28, 1956 and divorced in 63. They had no children together. Vanderbilt's fourth marriage was to author Wyatt Emery Cooper on December 24, 1963. The marriage, which lasted 15 years, ended with his death in 1978 while he was undergoing open heart surgery. My apologies. I thought maybe, maybe, just maybe it was a freak heart attack because that's what I heard somewhere else. But according to, you know, the ever trusty Wikipedia, <laughs> he died in open heart surgery. They had two sons, Carter Vanderbilt Cooper. He was born January 27th, 1965, and he supposedly died July 22nd, 1988. He committed suicide at age of 23 by jumping to his death from the family's 14th, 4th, 14th floor apartment and Anderson Hayes Cooper born June 3rd 67 a CNN newsacre okay so she has four kids um this I find very interesting and also it's quote-unquote a conspiracy theory so there's a few theories around Cooper's death uh one of them is that and I just heard this one actually let me just play it for you so you're not hearing it from me spoke of a heartbreaking accident during an emotional 2011 interview on Cooper's talk show, Anderson. According to her, it was Cooper who kept her from jumping after Carter. There was a moment when he did not jump, she said. He was sitting on the wall, 13 floors up a balcony, and he was sitting on the wall with one foot on there and one foot hanging over, and he kept looking down. I kept begging him to... And then when he went, he was like an athlete and hung over the wall like this. I said, Carter, come back. And for a minute, I thought he was going to come back, but he didn't. And he let go. There was a moment when I thought I was going to jump after him. But when I thought of you, and it stopped me from doing that. So basically, she is talking on a talk show, Anderson Cooper, and she's telling the story of when his brother passed away. So there's all kinds of videos on YouTube. You can find it yourself, but look at how she's dressed. She's in a black dress with a star. To me, that looks like a witch. So I had to go find that interview, and here you go, folks. You, you still think, I mean, we, we obviously, we talk about this all the time. You, you still think about, do you still think about that day? That Carter died all the time. All the time. All you the time. You still, you, you still run through it. I still run through it, and um, there was a moment when, and he he did not jump. He was sitting on a 
the wall of 13 floors up from a, bal a balcony wall. A balcony. And he was sitting on the wall with one foot um, on there and one foot hanging over, and he kept looking down. And I kept begging him to, you know, to. And then when he went, he went like an athlete and hung over the wall like this. And I said, Carter, come back. And for a minute, I thought he was going to come back, but he didn't. He let go. And there was a moment when I thought I was going to jump over after him. But then I thought of you, and it stopped me from doing that, you know? Yeah. And um, this is, you know, you, you, there's this word closure that they've spoken so much of today, and there is never closure on something that happens like that. I know, like I hear that. when I hear um, people on... Yeah. You know, and... Um, when but, I hear people on TV use that word, it's just a, it's like it, a TV it, word. It, it, yes, it's a TV word exactly, and um, and and you know, you 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 never ever get over it, but you learn to live with it. Okay, so that's the interview. Now let's go back to this article um, that kind of gives a different take that I've never heard before. Okay, so I mean that's another theory that it was a ritual. I've never heard that before. But what I have heard many a times is that he didn't really die, and she had him uh, transform himself into a woman. Now, being that we're living in the the age we are, and knowing what we know about Hollywood, does this surprise anyone who listens to this podcast? It shouldn't, and so, unless this is your first time, and if it is, I'm I'm sorry. This is your first podcast with me because this one's rather deep but you know what they all are so 
it is what it is. And I'm not sorry. Welcome. Welcome to the cast. So, um, I find this interesting that this is even written in the, in, what's it called? It, the Wikipedia, they even talk about this, um, this, uh, what I call a conspiracy theory. So let's read it. Okay. First, let me lay down the conspiracy theory is that, uh, Anderson Cooper's brother turned into Anderson Cooper's sister, Kathy Griffith. Okay. And so in this thing, it goes to relationships and it says, while appearing as a guest on her son, Anderson Cooper's television talk show, Anderson on September 19th, 2011, Vanderbilt referred to comedian and actress Kathy Griffin, Griffith as her quote-unquote fantasy daughter. Hmm. Let's go find that. I still don't understand this. Why are you guys friends? This is a nightmare. It's crazy. I mean, how does this and you work? you should see the stuff that didn't make the tape because I want to know how long you went to bed. <laughs> and also, why did you sleep in the same bed with your mom till you were 18? <laughs> I got a long that's, time. That's not true. That's right, not true. Um, but... Good Lord. <laughs> See, this is why I don't want you two together. This is why it creeps me out. But it is fascinating that, I mean, you guys legitimately are friends. You you go over to her house for dinner parties all the time. You got, you're you not even really invited anymore, frankly. I'm not, no, I haven't been invited to my mom's house and for dinner forever. And they're awesome. And the stuff we say about you, usually it's favorable. Well, that wasn't the clip, but let me go still try to find it. That one was interesting. All right, I gave up finding the quote, but I did find a lot of fun stuff. And this one was the day Vanderbilt died. It says... This is from Kathy herself. I lost a friend today. The only one, the one and only Gloria Vanderbilt. I love her so much. She let me call her Glow Vandy, and I would be so flattered when she would refer to me as her daughter. We would have our own alone time. We would sit on the sofa and talk for hours. So regardless if it was or was not her son, they were very, very close. Another unusual thing is that Kathy and... Um, uh, Anderson Cooper, um, always did those, um, New Year's Eve shows together for many years until the whole Trump thing set that, that program on fire. Um, yeah. So this is from E.T. Griffin has ended her friendship with Anderson Cooper. Back in May, a viral photo of Kathy holding a Donald Trump mask covered in fake blood drastically altered Griffin's life. The controversy caused the comedian endorsement deals and several gigs, including CNN's New Year's Eve broadcast she's co-hosted with Anderson Cooper for the past decade. We're still friends, and uh, look, I mean, I've, I've said a lot, you know, I said what I said about, I, I didn't think what she said was appropriate, um, but uh, I wish her the best, and I, I think, she, you know, I hope she bounces back. And She's going to be touring in like a minute, don't you think? She's I mean, incredibly funny, and, and a lot of people love her, and, and I think she'll be, you know, she'll be, bounce, she'll be yeah. back from this. Despite claiming the two were still friends during a July 26th appearance on Watch What Happens Live, CNN confirmed to The Cut that Cooper didn't even contact Griffin until August 10th, two weeks after Watch What Happens live. According to the article, Cooper publicly stating that they were still friends without personally checking on her hurt Griffin. When he finally reached out, Griffin let him know that their friendship was over. Dun, 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 dun. All right, how did Gloria Vanderbilt even come onto my radar? Well, it started with Pizzagate. 
Pizzagate is this theory that I believe is true of this place in Washington, D.C. called Comet Pizza, where they were posting on their Instagram and Twitters just disgusting child stuff for years. And as soon as we all caught on to it, they deleted it all and then started saying it was a conspiracy theory and blah, blah, blah. Well, at the same time, John Podesta and his emails got leaked through WikiLeaks. And they started talking about these quote-unquote pizza parties and all this stuff that was going on. And then people started looking into John Podesta. And lo and behold, he has paintings in his home that look just like Anderson Cooper. And poor little Anderson is tied up and beat in these pictures with other kids and according to jesse it's a ritual they go through and she actually talks about anderson's ritual and that is what i'm going to play you next it took me a hot minute to find this clip and when i did i realized she talks about the ritual never mentions his name i know there is a clip with his name mentioned but i couldn't find it but this is at the vanderbilt's so let's talk about this location before we get to the testimony of what happened in this location. All right. So there's a whole thing about the the grandfather who built this place, and he was part of the railroad. And this place was built. It's called the Built, B-I-L-T-M-O-R-E, Biltmore. It was completed in 1895. His grand estate is located in the mountains of North Carolina. This estate is still currently owned by his family members. Okay, here we go. While the most homes in the late 19th century did not have an indoor plumbing or electricity, the Biltmore had both. The indoor pool included several underwater lights as the pool room did not have any windows for natural light. It was designed by the estate's head architect, Richard Morris Hunt, who was commissioned Spanish architect, Rafael Gustano, who created the dome tile ceiling of the pool room. Gustano is known for his arches and dome designs around Europe, and he's also credited with creating a vault in New York City's earliest subway stations. This article, it goes on to say that although this pool was, you know, high tech for its time, it had not been invented, and it decreased its usability of an indoor pool. And so they probably started using it for what we're going to hear next. Good times. Tools, um, you know, it is a part of that rite of passage but that's the the age that they choose that um that will be when the child takes their first blasphemy so up until that point um you know the children have been abused they've been taught sex magic but it's always that they're the victim in that situation at age 12 is when they make the choice that they're in they're, you know, so they're declaring it's their life choice, and it's the first time that they become the perpetrators. Um, so, you know, that it goes along with the hunt as well. Um, so that first, you know, I did see two 12-year-old rituals um, with the, the boys that I grew up with, um, and they did happen at
I hate to use this word, but it's kind of the foreplay. So, you know, they'll put the boys out in the woods. Um, it's not really like a hunt to kill on their end. You know, they're, they're learning that this is their first time doing the hunt, being the perpetrator. Um, but they will have, you know, they'll have girls then, and the girls are trained to seduce the boys and kind of create this foreplay situation where they're excited, but they don't, you know, get to do anything at that point um, during the hunt. So um, those are a little bit, it's kind of hard to explain. It's not the same as the regular hunts, ritual hunts that they do. So this one is a little bit different. And um, it usually happens around the summer solstice. Um, It's part of that ritual. And so after, you know, they've had the the boys part of this, you know, summer solstice ritual hunt thing, then that was where I, you know, witnessed, like, I don't know if this is the same in every situation, but the 12-year-old ritual I saw, we went from the woods and, and that ritual to the pool, and it really was actually a a boat, uh, like an area where you would take your boats to clean. So that's originally what it's, you know, meant for. It wasn't like a swimming pool. Um, it was a kind of more of a boat cleaning area. And um, me and my training partner, my proctor, were up like there was a scaffolding kind of wood walkway up above and so we were up there and um and looking down and um kind of like where the middle was you know they had like a whole bunch of ropes hanging and they would hang the child um in the the 12 year old in those ropes um and they were uh, uh, they were naked and then are these the hierarchy kids are we talking yeah the 12 year old was the hierarchy child who was going through the ritual um so he'd be hung in that middle area down in the pool area and then along all the sides they had other ropes and so then they had expendable children that would be um murdered in that ritual that were hanging from the ropes that were on the side and they usually um, like the the ropes just kind of went like a U shape and so they'd have the child like the rope would be under their armpits holding them up and then they'd have their hands tied behind their back and their feet tied so they couldn't go anywhere um, so with that ritual um, what I saw happen was that you know the high priest and the other people who were then going to be what we consider the apprentices or the individuals who would be guiding that child then through their life and their career and you know making sure they had everything they needed to fulfill their position those were the ones that were involved in the ritual and they would sexually rape the child we'll just say from every direction that they could 
it was all at the same time, so kind of a gang rape type thing. Um, as they were doing that, they would be telling the child, you know, you you want this, you know, this is your big day. You're gonna, you know, renounce renounce God and um, you know enter your position into the brotherhood, and you want this. And so they kind of, you know, are leading the child and telling them exactly what they need to do and say. And then once the child says their blasphemy against God, um, the child then would be released. And the first thing that they have to do is, you know, um, murder with their hands. Um, But they basically cannibalize start to cannibalize the other children then they're hung around um and then everybody would get involved in that um so you know there was a lot of um blood that would be all over and all around um so that was like kind of their first um what we call the first blasphemy ritual and then from that point on, they're considered a full member of the Brotherhood. They're held by all the rules and bounds, which, you know, the number one is secrecy. Uh, the second one is that you, you know, you keep your brother's secrets and you help them hide and cover up their secrets. And, you know, you never basically throw your brother under the bus. Um, everybody who is your teacher, your um, the person you do your apprenticeships under, you're privy to their secret life, and you never reveal anything about that secret life. For the cover photo of this podcast, I am going to put the picture of the painting John Podesta had. I'm also going to wrap it up with a little, uh, I guess, comment about John Podesta from Jesse. So here's that. Um, the, the Illuminati was using the Frank Lloyd Wright houses as auction houses for selling kids. Um, part of their cover-up um, they did through art projects. So at these Frank Lloyd Wright houses, you know, sometimes the auctions would be um, guised as art sales. And I talked about, um, you know, a good doc show that that sometimes those that artwork included pieces of children or you know ground you know dust the paint might have been mixed with some of the ashes or dust that were left over from those things um one of the first ones that we did and this was me my training partner and e so there was a, a piece where they had all of, like, we had paint, and they did our handprints. And so we did, like, our handprints all around, and that piece sold for quite a bit of money. And then one of the first con- very intricate connect pieces that he did, Jacob Rothschild purchased that and had that in his, in his library, and so later, you know, when we were at their house, we saw that piece in his library. And so for them, when they bought this artwork, in a way, it connected, they believed it connected them to that child's soul, that it gave them, a, you know, special abilities to um, 
it, it's not the same as handling, but it was almost like a soul tie that they could call on your energies or your spirit if they were doing magic. Um, they could include your energy or spiritual um, powers while they were doing that ritual or magic. So whoever they owned, they believed it was just another um, piece of power that they had. Great. I would like to know about the red shoes. We have, we see the Pope regularly walking around with these red shoes. We see a group of very powerful um, world leaders. Some of them include, I've seen Tom Hanks. I've seen the Podesta, the Podesta guy. A couple of them, I can't remember their names offhand, but there's a whole group of guys that wear these bright red shoes. Can you help us understand what that's about, please? Yeah, so um, that's when you are in the Illuminati, um, you specialize in different forms of, of magic or um, different, they call them orders. Um, kind of the easiest way to explain that is if you look at like the, the Masons, they have a lot of different orders that you could join. You can be a part of all of those orders if you want or you can select one or two and really specialize in those. Um, so across the systems, it kind of works the same way. Um, you would just get different orders that you're connected to. So, you know, you've got the Masons, you've got the Jesuits, you've got the Cabal. Um, the Satanists and the Mormons usually are not involved with the red shoes. That's not usually a um, a sign, you know, of what they're into. Um, so mostly you're going to find that people who are wearing those are part of the Jesuit and the Kabbalah um, esoterical levels of the Illuminati. Um, so it signifies, you know, that they're, they're pretty high um, in their levels. Um, you know, if, if if they don't usually go by degrees in those two departments, but it would be comparable to, you know, the Masonic branch. It would, you know, you'd be above a level 33 degree Mason um, when you get those red shoes. And it usually signifies, um, you know, a very significant kind of higher level ritual killing and the shoes i'll give a graphic warning here um but the shoes are made out of child skin um and you know usually you'll see they get significant rings with with diamonds in them um the more you know children they kill a lot of them like to have those diamond trophies that they wear around um, so that would be the same child. Would they themselves have sacrificed the child whose shoe usually are wearing? Yes, usually, yes. Anderson Hayes Cooper, born to this woman who I call evil. On June 3rd, 1967, 
He's a now broadcast journalist and a commentary acre with CNN, which a lot of us call Communist News Network. But anywho, during college, Cooper spent two summers as an intern at the CIA while studying political science. He pursued journalism with no formal journalistic education. He is a self-proclaimed news junkie since <laughs> he was in utero. You guys, seriously, I've been a news junkie, and you know what's happened to me? Delete, 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 delete. These people run the world and not anymore. We are standing up against it. We are not going to put up with it. So in this episode, I opened many doors. We talked about Pizzagate. We talked about red shoes. We talked about art. We talked about John Podesta. We talked about the Vanderbilts. We talked about the Illuminati. We talked about religion. We talked about how all of that is linked together. Now it's up to you to wake up. It's up to you. I cannot do it any. You know what I can do? Sit here on my microphone and talk to you guys. But you know what I can't do? is have a real conversation with people these days because it is so freaking annoying. Yesterday I was at a lunch and this guy was bragging to me about a community they're building in Africa, which is great. That is awesome. That is amazing. Maybe. That's what I thought the whole time. Maybe. And then he started telling me his links. Yeah. And we're on the Al Gore Green New Deal. And I thought, holy crap, this guy has never listened to my podcast. Because <laughs> if he did, he probably would sit at a different table. Yeah, it was crazy. So anyways, Father God, you are not crazy. And you are the author of good. And you take crazy and you stomp it under your foot. Because it means nothing to you. So today, Lord, and every single day, I ask that we look up to you during this time of a great exposure of all the people that were idolized with their clothing and their programming, even on the clothing and people wear it around. We didn't even get there today, God, but you know what? Let people wake up to it all. Let them see it all. Let them see it all. You know, Jesus, no one's perfect on this world and you knew that, but you were and you are. And I thank you so much that you gave your life for us to pray to you, for us to just say, you know what? He told me not to worry. I'm not going to worry. In a time where we should, and I say no more Illuminati child sacrificing. I say no more. Expose, expose, expose. Let people wake up because you know what's going to unite us, Lord, is these babies. Because we all love the babies and the puppies. And I say that, God, because people stand up more for animals than they do their own babies. And I just pray, Lord, that abortion stops. I pray that every plan of the enemy stops this transgender agenda, this the satanic agenda to just turn people away from you in every single way possible. And I see how and why, but I say, let them know they are children of light and let these kids like Anderson Cooper come to the light and say, you know what? I was a horribly abused child and I have a story to tell about my brother and may whoever his brother, if he's dead or alive, if it's Kathy, may she speak up, may everybody speak up. You know, God, I'm praying to you because you are God and you are Lord and I can pray to you. And I'm praying this out loud. May the airways agree. May the people that hear agree in Jesus' holy name. Amen.